Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Time Travel. How come people can travel through time but not teleport? The Earth is moving, you know, so you have to, like, travel through time and relocate to a different part of the solar system. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Corner Bistro. Come try the highest-rated burger in the Zagat Guide at the Corner Bistro. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is a film analysis podcast where we like to review, talk about movies, uh, sometimes TV shows as of late, um, and kind of pick them apart from the perspective of uh, people who are familiar working on these, both in front of the camera, behind the camera, in post, in pre-production. Like, I think we've touched every single part of the production process, almost, definitely in our own lives as we work on these sets. Um, but even on the show, we've kind of touched on most of these aspects. You know, we talk about editing, we talk about cinematography, we've talked a lot about acting and a little bit, you know, sc screenwriting and storytelling, all these different aspects. But there is so much to it. I mean, pre-production is when all of, uh, I think for me, pre-production is where all the magic happens. When you write the script, when you figure out where you're going to shoot it, uh, there's a lot to it. But before we get into that aspect that I really want to talk about, um, and scene, <laughs> if you're not a part of our Patreon, we just kind of went on a huge 35, 40 minute, uh, escapade about the audition process. And so I don't know if we'll release that as a exclusive to our Patreons or our patrons. I still don't know what to call those, uh, beautiful, beautiful people or our patrons. patrons or release it as a bonus episode on, on interactual, uh, stuff, but maybe they'll all eventually be bonus episodes. I don't know. And so anyway, subscribe for our, to our Patreon. If you, if you want to hear that, breakdown analysis of how Todd did at the audition that we're doing right now, as well as all the other intricacies that we make on my views on the audition process, what it's like to look through three to 400 submissions and uh, what makes for a good monologue versus a bad monologue um, and a lot of other weird little uh, insights into that whole world and process. Um, if you're an actor or just interested in it, it's got a lot of great stuff. Yeah. I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Sweet. What are we covering today? <laughs> today, we are covering Parasite. Best film of the year, apparently, last year. And so if you haven't seen Parasite, make sure to pause this episode and go watch it. Uh, we're going to be giving away a lot of stuff. And there's there's um, uh, some stuff that you want to know by watching the film rather than us telling you. So spoiler alert. Copy that. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We'll touch on cinematography and the writing and the story. And we'll also talk about something we haven't really specifically spelled out, I don't think, uh, which is contextual art um, and I'll explain what I mean by that and how it applies to Parasite um, and other such stuff and things and stuff and by the way if you're watching this on YouTube I need to explain my eye just like I explained in the, the other uh, yeah. uh, uh, pre episode thing uh, I had a weed whacker accident a few days ago don't worry it's going to be fine this whole situation it's going to be fine 
I'm going to get back, back to the ugly self that I am. Uh, however, you're going to have to look at this wonky thing for the next 45 minutes or however long <laughs> yeah. this episode is. So a synopsis of Parasite. Uh, <laughs> greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. It's directed by and, and screenplay by Bong Joon-ho, uh, but also screenplay by Jin Wan Han and cinematography by... Kyung Pyo Hong, uh, featuring Kang Ho Song as Mr. Kim, Sodam Park as Jessica, Jung Eun Lee as Miss Kim, Woo Sik Choi as Ki Taek, and Sung Kyung Lee as the father. Well done, man. I don't have a sound bite. Uh, this is all in Korean, and so I don't think that would play well, yeah. uh, all things considered. I just finished watching this for the second time. I know you saw this in theater. Was the second mm-hmm. viewing different from the first viewing for you? Uh, for me, it was. It was more enjoyable. I feel like um, the first time I just kept, well, we've already given this spoiler alert, but I just kept waiting for stuff to happen, you know, and I guess, you know, it's the whole Western uh you know, situation that happens. Like we just beat people over the head with, with situations, Mm. right? Things that happen, like this situation occurs and then this thing happens because of that situation. And then another situation occurs and this thing happens. And that doesn't, I mean, it, it does happen in this movie. Don't get me wrong, but nothing, you know, you just keep waiting for the the hand to drop and it never fully does. I mean, obviously it does at the end, but, or towards the end, but, uh, I just kept waiting for stuff. And I think because of that, I didn't really enjoy it as much as I would have. So it's kind of almost the opposite kind of movie than other movies that we watch because most other movies is like, I don't want to know anything about it. And it's more enjoyable because I'm learning as I'm watching it. But this one, the second time I watched it, because I knew what was happening and knew what was going on, I was able to enjoy it more. I was able to enjoy the moments that happened, the, the situations that arose, the things that that occurred because of them, and and um, the the light things, like the little things, right? Um, which is why this movie was so damn good, right? It was so like like heightened, like move film of the year because of all the little things. And I, and I did end up really liking it a whole lot. The second time, first time I liked it, I enjoyed it, but film of the year, no, no way in hell. I would, I would have, you know, there are two other movies I could have thrown at that, at that title, you know, right now. But the second time was definitely more enjoyable for that reason, which is weird, but the performances were fantastic. The directing is amazing. Cinematography. I I got no words for the cinematography. Oh my God. The, the house they built, unbelievable. The depiction of the death, you know, like the, the destitution of the poor family. And then the, just the dichotomy of the two was just painted really well. And, uh, you know, like the twists and stuff that happened that were fantastic. Yeah, I enjoyed it a whole lot more the second time. That's so funny. Yeah, because I had the uh, almost same exact experience just because I enjoyed Mm -hmm. it so much more the second time. I think the reason I didn't enjoy it the first time was similar in the sense that I was uh, anticipating. But it was the tension that I felt the whole time that I was like, when is this? Are they going to get caught? Is this going to go wrong? You know, I was I felt anxious all the time. Um, And. Part of it was waiting for something bad to happen, but the other part of it was, like you said, waiting for something to happen <laughs> because yeah. for ages until, you know, and it doesn't happen until you hit that midpoint and, you know, the lady gets kicked down the stairs and uh, bonks her head and you're just like, 
kind of winded by that whole experience. Um, and you're just like, what is happening downstairs now? And you're spending all this time upstairs. And so once you kind of removed all that tension, um, I really did enjoy it more the second time. It's the strangest, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say I have that experience very often, uh, maybe a handful of times. And in this case, uh, I was certainly like, more in tune and more uh, interested in uh, the the nuances of the characters and uh, how they were treating each other. There was just so much more play that I was uh, paying attention to, I think, or enjoying, I should say. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it just, it took me a little bit more by surprise because I also got to see it, uh, I think, before all the hype was there, like, or maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But seeing it, you know, before you find out that it's, uh, which I think is most, you and I both saw it before it got Best Picture uh, status, I believe. Yeah. And that helps a lot because it's really hard to, to meet those expectations when you figure out, oh, this was the best movie of the year. Find and prove it. Uh, and then you watch, yeah. you walk in and you're just kind of sitting around for, you know, an hour before anything happens. Otherwise, you might yeah. be fooled into thinking this is a Korean drama uh, over stuff that, uh, I guess. But mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I was super happy. I like Bong Joon Ho a lot uh, as a director um, and as a writer. And so, I I don't know that I make him appointment setting, but I'm always aware whenever he makes something new and I'm likely going to watch it, but I just might take my time. Like if you hadn't wanted to watch uh, Akja, I probably wouldn't have uh, sat down to watch that thing ever just because the premise didn't really interest me. Uh, but because you were like, hey, let's sit down and watch this movie. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like it's Bong yeah. Joon-ho. I'm not going to be upset. Um, yeah. But yeah, so anytime he makes something and whenever something of his starts to get like a little bit of a, a fervor behind it, then it amps up the stakes in a way that excites me because my groundswell of uh, fervor comes from the indie community. And so uh, before it starts hitting Oscar rounds, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I got to see this thing. And his character work is always amazing just because he's yeah. going to take you places that you just would not assume a film would ever want to take you. <laughs> um and he, he does such a great job of world building and uh, buying in and shooting like he likes a lot of these wide angle shots, um, mediums, and he's going to track and he's going to be patient uh, before he like moves the camera like he might have it set up for a minute before and you might think, oh, this is a locked off shot before suddenly it moves. And then you're like, oh, oh, we're revealing something else. Like there's a scene where uh, the family is what uh, wait watching men out the window as he's battling this guy who's peeing in the alleyway um, and we're we're doing this uh, angle and reverse angle we're watching men and then we're watching the family and back and forth and then we're watching the family again and uh, they're like yeah men is amazing blah 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 and then the camera just dollies over uh, as he opens the door and enters uh, and it's like oh yeah I guess we were on rails the whole time <laughs> like I didn't know that <laughs> but it's just this patient way of storytelling that uh, it's efficient and it's also uh, making you feel like you're in the world um, and he just does with all of his films uh, an amazing job at choreography and, and blocking uh, so if you want to study that and understand how to how to really tell a story in an environment uh, that grounds it in a believable way then you could not do better than watching Bong Joon-ho films especially uh, once you get to my reco at the end of the episode you'll you'll get a great one my favorite one of his so I'm excited about that We're the same one <laughs> Uh, I, I did hear that this, this screenplay was based off his own life, an experience of his own life. 
Oh, wow. Um, I don't know to what extent, but I believe that his mother um, would like clean the like houses of like very rich people and he didn't have any money and they were like very poor and lived in like almost like a cellar, very similar to to this situation. And so I think it's one of the reasons probably why it's so good because he pulled from his own experience. So I think let that be a lesson to any writer or director or, or, you know, any artist out there. It's, I mean, you are your own stories, you know, like pull from you, pull from your experiences so that you can tell the story in a, in a true and honest way. Right. Um, and that's, what's going to relate to people. I mean, you can pick, think about it, man. You can pick, there are so many stories. There's so many possibilities of stories. And the only reason why there's so many possibilities is because there are so many things that can happen, um, that have happened. And, but it's, it's harder for you to just make something up and for it to be honest and believable and real. If you've never experienced any of it at all. And it's not to say that you can't do it. Obviously, you know, like finding Nemo, uh, you know, you're not a fish, but maybe you lost your son at one point, even if it was a short for a short time and that feeling, right. And that's what you tap into to write a script like finding Nemo, right? It's not that you're a fish, but it is that whole drive. Like I will never stop until, and I, I feel like, you know, obviously that's one of the reasons why a movie like this could relate to so many people rather than some of his other films that are just so fantastical, you know, that, you know, whatever they couldn't have happened at least in that way. But in this regard, you know, yeah, but this kind of thing has, maybe not all of it has happened before, but, um, at least the, you know, the, the dichotomy of, you know, so poor with, you know, right up butting up against, the so rich and what that feels like. I mean, I have, I personally have been a, um, personal assistant for some very rich people. Um, when I lived in LA and it is the worst feeling in the world. It is terrible. Anybody who does that job, you are, you are a saint and you are, you understand, you like, you're very comfortable in your own skin and you know yourself and kudos to you. I was not, and I was miserable. I had no money and just being around such opulence and, and waste was unreal. I mean, thousands of dollars just thrown to the wayside. Whereas, you know, I'm sitting here like wondering if I had enough money to buy ramen for the week, you know? And it was just, it was like, it was, it was very good for me personally because I knew I will never live like that ever. But at the same time, it just felt, you know, felt terrible. So I can only imagine, but yeah, I think that, you know, pulling from your own experiences is at least a good way to start. And then obviously you can take, take it in its own, you know, fantastical direction if you'd want, but it's gotta be grounded in something that's real. I feel like. No, you, you, absolutely. I mean, especially, you know, if you figure out the kind of storyteller that you are. And for me, and I think you and a lot of our, our, our listeners, like we are the type that appreciate grounded, you know, reality, dramatic stuff. And in order to do that effectively, you have to start from a place of uh, personal investment. And if you don't have something to pull on, uh, then maybe you just need to get out there more or maybe read some books uh, uh, or, yeah. <laughs> or just review your, your life in a different way. Because like you said, you don't have to have lost your son permanently, but being in a grocery store and suddenly you turn around and your son's not there. 
there is a panic that sets in and suddenly you can see how that can paint a scene or paint how a character goes about achieving a goal. Uh, there's a lot you can do with that. And, uh, it's, it's never ending. The more you start to analyze. And I remember after, uh, as a writer, I was always aware uh, of my life and my circumstances, and I've had a very dramatic life. But it wasn't until I was an actor that I began to appreciate how I responded and how I reacted to things. That gave me a whole new perspective on what it means to write those moments. And so being an actor, I think, more greatly informed how I wrote, uh, even more than whenever I was studying and working on being a writer. Um, and for that, you know, I just forever grateful whenever I work on a new project and suddenly I'm like, Oh, here's, here's what the scene really means. And here's what it needs to be and what it's trying to be. Um, here's the best of it. And here's the ways that I can identify and relate to that and, uh, kind of move forward. Awesome. But diving a little bit into the cinematography stuff, uh, I don't have a ton here. I got really wrapped up in trying to pick apart some of the story stuff, and I failed miserably, but we'll get into that in a minute. But cinematography-wise, there was a few shots that I really enjoyed. Uh, there was these detail shots, because I don't think Bong Joon-ho does a ton of detail shots, but there was a, a couple that kind of caught my eye. And I just thought were fun. They and even in his style, they weren't really even close-ups. The ones that I'm looking at, uh, they were just kind of these medium close-ups. Uh, and it's when the what's his name, Key Take, uh, picks up Dahai's uh, hand. Uh, the student, the English tutor picks up the student's hand, uh, the wrists, right? And he feels the heartbeat. And we shoot to this kind of medium close up of him picking the hand up and doing his thing. And then we also see uh, the, that insert again whenever he sets it down sets it into place. And then from there, we cut directly to another detail shot of the money being counted. Like that moment spoke so highly to the mother that she's paying, like she is excited to pay now. Um, and she has to have this guy. And it's just this very simple, clever tie-in of used visually to, to kind of compel the story forward about why uh, she's reacting the way she is. And it kind of plays into, I think, a little bit more of her gullibility and how much money they have and how sensitive she is to her children and how much she loves her children, even though she's... I don't know. I don't want to get into judging her parenting skills or her uh, <laughs> just gullibility as they keep kind of pounding on in the <laughs> film. Um, there's another really fun shot that I liked. Uh, there was one shot that they definitely crossed the line or the uh, they break the 180 degree rule, which is if you're not familiar with the 180 rule, it's the idea that you usually shoot a scene in order to not cross the eye line. Like in any one scene, the camera stays on one side of an eye line. So if you imagine two people sitting at a table um, and imagine it like a compass, there's a north, south, east, west, and two people are sitting, one on the north and one on the, uh, the south, and you set the camera on the east. And so whenever you're shooting this scene, the camera always stays on the scene. Even if it goes you know, south by southeast, as it's looking at the camera, uh, the person on the north, it never crosses into the Western territory. So that's the rule. The rule is it's going to stay on one side of that divide. Um, and if you do break it, it's usually for some intention. Uh, it's usually as a, to notice a change in perspective or uh, a new angle. Um, someone's understanding something differently. Uh, and so it's usually a very specific way that it's broken, usually. Uh, and in this case, uh, they don't really hammer it home but it, I just thought it was a fun way it was when Jessica was now talking to the mother and she was kind of getting her gullibility up and talking about like the uh your son you know it, he's 
he needs art therapy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, did something happen to him in the first grade? And as she says that line, uh, we, we break the, we pan behind Jessica, uh, or we dolly behind Jessica as the mother gasps. Like she's like, <gasps> and she has uh-huh. a big reaction to it. We're breaking the line right there. Um, as we switch uh, sides of the room and it's, really fun and i i don't know that there's anything massive other than they're really starting to understand how gullible this woman is and it's at that point where the story shifts into we're going full tilt into taking over this household into our parasite mode i guess to quote the film's you know namesake and so yeah. the other the, the other use of crossing the line i thought was very cool uh was when they didn't actually cross it uh but they they toyed with it and it's when they're in the cab uh, or in the 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 bins and the the new dad is uh, driving and he's asking this question and the dad is asking something to the uh, the father of the house and we go from we're in the back seat as the camera we're watching uh, the father, and then we just pan directly to our right uh, to look at the, the the father's response. And it's I hate when people cross the line. Oh man! And Let's it's talk about on the nose. Yeah, and it's funny because we actually straddle the line. We don't technically break it. Uh, we 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 never cross. Uh, but in that car ride, we're constantly toying with crossing the line. But we never, I would say we never technically do. Uh, there's a lot of shifting in perspective, but I wouldn't say we ever actually cross the line uh, to some just like what the Just like what the father says that he, the, the dad, the driver, whatever does, he always comes close to crossing the line, <laughs> but he never quite does. And yeah. so that's kind of reflected with the uh, visual style there. And it's, I think it's kind of Bong Joon-ho having a little bit of fun. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. The other cinematography thing that... Uh, it's a it's a weird combination of story, cinematography, and editing, I guess. Uh, but it's first shot, last shot. The first shot of the film is we open on the socks hanging to dry in this kind of underground apartment. Uh, there's trash outside, and we kind of hang there for you know several moments before we finally boom down to see a key take, uh, looking for free Wi-Fi. Right, the IP time, um, which I'm, I'm guessing is some kind of IP man reference. In which I wouldn't know how that ties into this particular story. Ip Man, I believe. Is it not like like Sprint, the right. Sprint of of Korea? Maybe. Maybe I don't know. I, I just assumed it was an Ip Man reference, but maybe it is uh, some kind of cell phone service down there. Um, but fast forward to the final shot. The very final shot of the film is socks hanging to dry in the winter, and then we boom down as the son key take uh finishes reading the letter of his dad uh you know having painstakingly translated into morse code and so in this final shot it's interesting because if you think about it in terms of first shot last shot uh nothing is actually changed you know his situation has not improved from the first frame and to some degree it, it makes us question whether or not he fulfills his plan because for a moment it looks like he does as he's describing, like, I have this plan now and we're going to do, I'm going to make money. I'm, you know, love and relationships and all that stuff is fine. But my purpose right now is to make money. And then we go from that, seeing that image of him letting his father out, out, out of the basement and into the sun to enjoy the backyard. We then cut to that last shot of, oh, we don't know if that actually happens. That's kind of his vision of this, of the plan. Um, and so it, it makes us ask does he ever actually fulfill his plan or is it like his father said that plans are useless? And to that, I, 
I don't really have an answer. I don't know if you want to take a stab at, do you think he fulfills his plan? I think I do. I think he does. Or I think I do think that he does. (laughs) Does that work? (laughs) Only because I think that this is somewhat of an autobiography um, for him and being able to do stuff like buy his mother a house and stuff like that now in his life um, with his art is is a little bit of a statement of of that but like any great storyteller you don't give away any you know like one of the reasons we love christopher nolan so much is because we don't know how any of his films really end uh and and that's there's something special in that because it's it's your movie now you know Mm. it's it no matter what happened in it no matter how many millions of people see it and how many awards it wins it's like you know um, at the end of this movie, it's your movie because you get to choose the ending. Does he really get to, you know, does he make the money and get his dad, you know, out? Who knows? Who knows, man? Who knows? Uh, I'm an optimist. So I just say yes, you know, usually because it makes me feel good. But maybe, maybe you know, hmm. maybe, maybe not. But the, the point is, is that because I can choose it and the, the storyteller has given me the option to choose it, it feels you know, it feels like it's my movie now. I think, I think so. I think it happened. That's awesome. What about you? What about you? I couldn't really make up my mind. I think in my heart, I'm a bit, bit of a negative Nancy on this film. Like everything is so dark and so twisted and so full of hope and prospects and failure that I just, I, that's kind of where I land. I love that moment whenever he's talking, the, the son key take is, upstairs with the daughter die high and he asks her like do you think i belong here does it look like i fit in and i mean she's a kid but she does her best to assure him that he does and uh but we can see and i know exactly how that feels bro i've been over at your in-laws house many a time and looked around and said do i belong here do i fit in and i guarantee i've never i probably never would have said yes to that if if I had asked that aloud, I'd have been like, "Anyone who says yes is lying to me." <laughs> like I just <laughs> believed them, <laughs> and so I understand that that you know that feeling. But I guess you know if I were to look at my own life in that same light as maybe Bong Joon Ho is, then I might have to say, "Yeah, you know, it's a matter of believing and you know working on it, like it, yeah. developing a plan and executing the plan, um, and changing the plan as you need to." I guess I know so. I think my optimistic side wants to believe if I'm putting myself in that place that, yep, it works. He figures it out and he makes it happen. He gets his dad back and uh, sets him free. Who knows, really? Yeah. Touching on writing and story, once again, not a ton of notes, but there were some fun things that I that I like as a writer when I'm watching these things. Set up some payoffs I thought were pretty cool. The Seeing the sister forge effortlessly that the the document you know the college document that he needed or or at least that he thought he needed uh was pretty cool because it ends up that the doc wasn't actually important at all like she he just needed the recommendation of men but what it does do it's a setup that doesn't pay off with him getting the job it pays off in getting his sister the job as an art teacher and so it's a it's a really great red herring that, hey, we're, we think the character thinks he needs a thing. So we're going to show you a skill set of a daughter that's going to come into play in a, in a way that you may not have expected. Um, and so that's kind of a very clever, uh, simple, subtle twist of 
we're going to give you exposition in a way that it doesn't look like it's exposition. That's the hardest freaking thing to do in a movie, man, is to tell someone's backstory or to give someone a thing without it feeling like it's just being spoon fed to you. And it's just brilliant. I love simple. It's the simple things that are the hardest to do. <laughs> totally. Um, the other thing I really liked is there was a, a kind of a setup payoff to the tension that is created uh, a little later on after Jessica uh, gets introduced to the, the new family. There's this great moment whenever he goes upstairs, the, the key take is upstairs with the daughter and the daughter looks at him and says, Jessica's not really your cousin's friend. And he, that look that the heart just stops beating and he's like, what do you mean? Um, yeah. Like, is she on to me? And, and then she makes the comment like, she's your girlfriend, isn't she? And it's just this great setup payoff of tension because the first thing you think is, oh crap, she's on to us. And then the, the payoff is that no. She has a crush. And so in that same way, you've kind of added an expositional element of tension and you you relieved it through the prospect of love. And now you've kind of created a new storyline out of this thing that was could have gone either way. You know, it could have it should have gone one way, uh, but you used it to create tension and resolution to set us on a whole new path uh, and a whole new storyline that lasts until the end of the movie. Uh, yeah. And that's just a really kind of clever thing that they did. The other minor writing and storytelling note uh, is when we get to the midpoint is whenever we finally have the the big twist and it ends that that midpoint kind of starts coming to a crescendo I guess uh, whenever they're coming home and now the phone rings and everything is starting to really break loose and what's great about that phone call that I personally love is we're getting close to the end of the phone call and the the stakes are just at a premium <laughs> right we have the old housekeeper is going into allergic shock right she's had all the peaches <laughs> rubbed all over her face yeah. um, the house is a complete wreck the old family needs to be handled. This is before the, the, the woman gets kicked down the stairs. Um, right. And so we have and we need to get out like we got to get the everyone who shouldn't be here needs to leave, disappear. And so all these things need to happen in eight minutes. And it ends with uh, the and they have to cook the, the that, food. That's the zinger. That's the, oh, sorry. That, no, no, it's I'm perfect sorry. because <laughs> it's the greatest zinger in the world, because we have all these other things that we're thinking about. And she hangs up the phone and she says, what the hell is rammed on? <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> sorry, I no, that. That's perfect. <laughs> like, because it's so good. It's a great camper, a great capper, because our mind is on all these other things that are already presented to us. And this adds to the disaster in this really fun, quirky way, because now she also still has to be a, a good housekeeper. <laughs> yeah. Now she actually has to do a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is so smart. And it's just a fun way uh, to add just a little extra tension and, uh, kind of shift our attention a little bit yeah contextualizing art this one is yeah this is interesting what are you what are you talking about here yeah so it's often not always but it's often important if you want to understand a piece of work understanding the context of that work makes uh, a much better experience of understanding the art itself and so I worked with your wife and the University of Texas Department of English that she worked for at the time in order to make a whole series of videos. And one of the one or two of these videos touched on exactly this contextualization. Um, and that's the idea that if you want to understand Shakespeare, fine, you can read it. 
but you're probably not going to get as much out of it if you don't understand the time period that it was written and the, and the cast of characters that were running his country um, and a whole host of other things. The way they used words back then was different from the way we use them now. And so if you don't understand the context, uh, you're not going to get quite as much out of it. Um, and so whenever you're watching any movie or reading a book, uh, whether it's whatever, Great Gatsby, you might think that the time period itself plays the biggest part of the contextualizing. But when we're watching a film made in Korea, contextualizing can take on a whole new world um, because I don't think the Western world has really interpreted this movie properly. I think on its face it works because there's this universal idea of rich and poor that every culture understands just about. I'm sure there's probably a handful out there uh, that you know are above it or, or whatever. But for the for the largest part, like everyone who's going to be watching this movie understands it. And so whenever we watch it, we understand it in those in, in those terms. I'm not so sure it's really about that. I think on its face that it works and that it's that's one of the reasons why this is a great film is that you can watch it a number of ways. Uh, and on its face, it is about that. But I think if you were to really dissect it, it's talking about something completely different. And that's the coolest part to me. And I don't know that I know what this is about, but I kind of know what it's about. Like, uh, okay. At a very high level, I believe it's about, uh, North and South Korea. Totally. And they say literally like there's that moment after Jessica comes home and she's like, I set a trap for the driver, right? She takes her panties off in the car and stuffs them under the seat. And the son key take, uh, kind of looks around. He's like, wow, we're going into this already. This is so metaphorical. Like, uh, (laughs) and they're literally telling you there's a metaphor in play in this film. And, and so it wouldn't be a metaphor if the, if the metaphor was about the, the contrast between rich and poor, like that's not a metaphor. That's just what the film is. Um, so the metaphor has to be something else that they're, that they're disguising as this story. Um, and that's where I think North Korea comes into play because there's several North Korean references and there's a lot of, uh, allusion or uh, reference to other countries as well. The United States, uh, Japan, there's native Americans. Uh, there's a lot of, other countries kind of being referenced here in, in cultures in a way that I, I can't pin down 100% because again, contextually I'm not Korean. I just don't understand everything that happens in their culture. Uh, like the song that she sings at the doorbell whenever she's remembering, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, that's like a very famous nursery rhyme over there. Like the tune, mm-hmm. the, the, the melody of it, uh, is very, 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 very famous. And so we, obviously we don't know that. To, to us, it's just like, oh, she turned their, their backstory into a song. Um, but, yeah, that's oh, interesting. That's what I thought. Yeah. And so for them, it's like, oh, that's funny. They use this, this uh, you know, Baba Black Sheep as, you know, a way to remember yeah. their evil like or whatever their backstory. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so contextually, there's a lot that changes once you understand or if you were from Korea, I'm sure, especially. But let's just touch on a few of the North Korean references. For one, there's this comment whenever he's in the car with the driver and the the guy asks him, like, do you know your way around? He's like, I can take I know anything below the 38th parallel. The 38th parallel is the dividing line between North and South Korea. 
So there's this comment that I know anything, you know, in South Korea, I can get you in anywhere. South Korea. Um, yeah. And so that's a very subtle thing that if you don't know that, you don't know that. Like there's, there's nothing in the movie that's going to explain that to you. And similarly, well, maybe not as similar, but uh, there's this great moment after they film, after the old housekeeper films them. And she's now giving her husband a back rub on the couch and he's like holding uh-huh. the phone and he makes this comment um, uh, comparing the video to the North oh, Korea yeah. uh, firing a missile. Like uh-huh. he's like, this feels like a missile launcher. She's like, what are you talking about? Like North Korea, uh, you know, could fire a missile at any time. Like we could we could obliterate and it just turns into this thing that eventually turns into uh, the phone gets loose. And now they're all kind of wrestling control over the, you know, quote unquote missile launcher. And there's just a lot in there that I think they're trying to say that uh, and they compare, I think, the, the, the mother to gullibility or maybe. There's a reference of the United States at some point. I already I forgot to write it down, um, <laughs> but, but I would say, you know, and there's also the Japanese warship reference whenever she's talking about how to set up the backyard for the party. She's like, mm-hmm. imagine yes. that's a warship, a Japanese warship Ship. and build a semicircle around it of ships or whatever. Uh, it could be construed as a blockade of some sort or maybe uh, military bases. I don't know. And then they dress up as Native Americans and then there's a absolute slaughter. So I just don't know. I would imagine that uh, there's a heavy uh, metaphor going on about North and South Korea, who they are in this film. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're both maybe both families that are the basement dwellers and the uh, and the family that we're watching. Maybe they're both representing North Korea and maybe the other family, uh, the well to do family is South Korea um, or maybe the, the basement family is North and the other family is South. And maybe everyone upstairs is like the United States uh, or in the South Korean government. I don't know. Uh, there's so many places that this could go. I'm afraid I just don't have the tools <laughs> to break yeah. it apart. And maybe it's not all in the film. Maybe you just have to understand the culture to see what actions correlate to historical fact. Um, I don't know. I bet it's there. Um, maybe <laughs> because I don't know. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I mean, I saw that. I, I sensed that as well. Like a, maybe from that first in any reference to North Korea, it was like, okay, I, I get it. I missed the, the, the first one that you mentioned, what was it? The um, first. Oh, the 30th parallel. Yeah. That, yeah. that's cool. That's, like that's a cool little nugget where, yeah, if you don't know that, you don't know that. But I, I kind of sense that I, I didn't know that the whole movie might be a metaphor for it. But now that you mention it, I can definitely see that being the case. At, Cause he does, do they mention the North Korean leader? Do they mention? Yeah, they do. Like, oh, I'm. They Kim mention Jong-un. his name, right? Yeah, Kim Jong Un, right? Yeah, they yeah. mention his name yeah. at some point. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And I remember. I okay. I do remember having like a visceral reaction to that, <laughs> of like, oh shoot, like, what if he sees that? Like, he's kind of a crazy dude. He might retaliate, you know. Uh, and I wonder, is South is are the South Koreans? Are they like nervous now about that? Are they? Do they live in a, some perpetual fear, you know, like I don't of North Korea? I don't know. I kind of probably would, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it it did seem like there was a lot of on the nose references to North Korea, you yeah. know, or at least a handful. Yeah, for sure. And 
yeah, I just wish I could understand a little bit more of the history so that I could pinpoint, like, is the father coming out of the basement supposed to be North Korea? Uh, the citizens of North Korea finally getting their chance to come out uh, and join the world. Um, and if so, is that is the son then South Korea, whose goal it is to make money in order to uh, establish that and kind of, you know, help them out and buy all the land, right? Because the house is the, is the thing that's kind of housing the dad and he can't escape it. Uh, and therefore, the people of North Korea can only be helped by uh, the people of South Korea who uh, can ultimately, you know, buy the land or whatever. I don't know what the what the stakes are and what the issues are um, and who could. Well, they already who. can. Yeah. So like South Korea's economics are like way. Oh, yeah. It's not even close. You know, like North Korea is is the uh, the destitute family, yep. you know, for sure. So are they the parasite? Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah. And so there's a lot of ways you can interpret this. Like uh, if you start thinking about, you know, international politics, it takes on a whole other role. And depending on who you insert into which position is the United States, the global mother um, who uh, just kind of sleeps around and trusts everybody and says, uh, yeah, we have a belt of trust here. And, you know, I only trust recommended people from the people that I know. And that mm. seems like something that we do. <laughs> or we could also be we the rich daddy now. who's you yeah. know paying for everything and isn't really present ever. Uh, and is, yeah, there's just so many, so many things. And the, my last little note is I love, and this is completely kind of aside from everything we just were talking about when they're sitting down with their native American garb and they're waiting for Jessica to present the present, uh, pr present the cake so that they can pretend to be, you know, uh, attacking her. There's this great moment whenever the, the father is looking at Mr. Kim and Mr. Kim is like suddenly having all these hesitations. He's just got so much anger and resentment over being looked down upon and, uh, the, the smell kind of this recurring issue of how he smells and, Miss, uh, the father can see the, the, the hesitation and he's like, look, just think of it as part of your work. Okay. And then we cut and we watch Mr. Kim as he considers this and he never responds. We keep waiting for him to acknowledge it and at least not ahead or say, okay. And we watch him for a good four or five seconds and he never does. He just kind of keeps watching him, considering. And then we cut away. And I love that. I love that because it's so much easier as an actor to nod and acquiesce. Um, and whether it's the director or the actor's choice, I don't know. But the fact that he didn't is a really strong acting move uh, to just be and to, and to not give in. Uh, and it makes sense that he wouldn't because, you know, in about two minutes, he's about to slaughter that guy. Um, yeah. But... It, the temptation is to satisfy as a human being uh, the question. Someone asks you a question, you give them an answer. And it can be hard sometimes to not. And the, the not part is what's interesting because now the yeah. audience is wondering. You're, you're making us ask a question um, mm -hmm. and you're creating tension. And it's all through the lack of a response. And it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's a wonderful moment. God. It's so tense, man. So tense. It's so tense. When he says that, I'm like, oh, my God, what is going to happen? Something's going to happen finally after an hour, <laughs> hour and 20 minutes. Something's going to happen. Uh, uh, it's a great moment. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all wow. I got, man. Man, that's great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. What would you give this then? What would you give it the first? Okay, we have to do two. Ooh. The first time you saw it and then the second time. That's a really good one. I would say the first time I saw it. I would put it 
about a seven, seven and a half. Like I really enjoyed it. Uh, the rewatchability factor wasn't there for me. Uh, the tension and the anxiety was all there. Uh, so it got that out of me and the, the weirdness of it, like coming around the corner and seeing that woman squatting between the wall and the, the shelf is just such a weird Bong Joon-ho moment of what the F is happening right now? <laughs> this is, yeah. I don't understand. My mind can't wrap around what I'm seeing. Um, and those moments kind of, you know, make, make up for the dull stuff for me. Uh, and so for a seven and a half, and then after the second watching, I'm, I think I'm probably at an eight now. Like I could watch this again and, and enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I would say at best, the first time was a six and a half, maybe even a six. Uh, and now I'm, Solid seven, uh, maybe seven and a half, but um, at least a seven. Uh, best shot in the whole movie is the eyes in the stairwell. Dude, how amazing. Creepiest. I've seen some creepy things. That's literally the creepiest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, maybe ever. Uh, it was, and even seeing it second time was even creepier, honestly. So it was unreal the lighting and the cinematography for this it was just like and the thought that went behind these little moments is just fantastic filmmaking wise i mean i would give it you know an, an eight and a half but like as a whole movie you know and i think maybe if i was korean I, it would be like you said contextually i knew more uh, i would probably give it a higher ranking i would definitely not call it movie of the year yeah by far, like not even in the same, like, yeah, you could nominate it. Sure. But no way would I give this movie of the week of the year. Uh, but, uh, it was enjoy more enjoyable the second time. So I will give it that it had, it had legs in that regard. Nice. Sure. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so what are you going to recommend this week? Cool. I might steal yours. Maybe, maybe not. You I like obscure stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You like obscure yeah. stuff. I'm going to recommend the host, another Bong Joon-ho, uh, film, uh, the first Bong Joon-ho film that I saw and I thoroughly loved it. I was like, what is happening? I had no idea what it meant or what was going on. Um, and it's been a long time since I've seen it. So I feel like I need to go back and watch it again. So. Dude, great recommendation. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stay on the Bong Joon-ho train and recommend Memories of Murder. Uh, it's based on a real-life serial... I don't remember what it is, if it's a one murder or serial killer or someone who pooped his pants in the train station. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it's. I do remember it's an excellent movie. Um, and if you is really there want, a poop scene in it? I don't think there is, actually. <laughs> okay. That was just random. Yeah, random. Just, okay, weird. <laughs> it's been a long week. Uh, I understand. And... It's so good. All the acting, all the writing, uh, all the cinematography. You can watch this movie and study it and never get tired of learning what he's doing in each scene. Like all the blocking. uh, It's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, And yeah, so go watch it. Memories of Murder. I'm not sure where you can watch it, but everything should be streaming by now at this point. Yeah. So... So short spotlight of the week, uh, going to try to get back into this. Normally I really hate spotlighting anything that's already gotten a ton of, uh, press, uh, like this one that I'm recommending was already Vimeo pick of the week and it was short of the week.com. Uh, but this one was so good and original and lo-fi in the best way possible. Uh, it's just brilliant, really? it's just brilliant storytelling and it's called getting a Grammy, um, by Derek Milton. And you absolutely have to watch it. I think it's nine or 10 minutes and it's 
freaking hysterical. It's about how he worked on a, uh, a film project, uh, Beyonce's one, one of her videos, uh, won uh, a Grammy for like best music video. And he worked on that. And so he wanted to throw a party about, you know, celebrating the fact that he worked on this, uh, and it goes down some really weird rabbit holes that you're just going to pee yourself. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, I can't wait. I, I have it queued up right now. I'm going to watch it as soon as we're done. Um, yeah, cool. So stay and I'll embed that in the, uh, in the, uh, the show notes. Um, and I'm going to watch it as soon as I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I have it queued up right here. Good. Uh, stay tuned for, and it's, it's such a good one to study just whenever you start thinking about how can I make something that is smart and doesn't require much more than just uh, thought um, and a little bit of editing. And so study it. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, stay tuned for next week. We're going to tackle the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Very exciting. Oh, man. Uh, we might do a string of these uh, where we there's a few other 90s films that I've been wanting to get into. Um, and so we'll see how this goes. Uh, Maybe we can identify why it's played literally every single day right. on cable TV somewhere in the world. I would love to know because that's yeah, what I want to study. Too. I want to study a few movies that have just in- insanely high rewatchability. And, uh, yeah. and Shawshank epitomizes that um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes, leave us a note saying what you would like us to talk about and the kind of things you find interesting. This episode was only uh, done because Charlie requested it. So uh, thanks, Charlie, for the, for the you know, request. I was going to call it a record. I was like, that's not a record. That's a request. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's been a long week. It's been a long week. <laughs> I get it. It's Wednesday. It's so Wednesday. <laughs> we still got a ways. We're still, yeah, we're, we're, we're over the hump. Thank you, Charlie, so much, man. I appreciate the review you dropped. And uh, if you want to drop us a note saying all the thousand ways that we missed the boat on this thing, uh, you know that we don't like to go and read other people's takes and so maybe someone else has already figured this out that it's not about north korea south korea uh it's actually about someone pooping their pants in the train station (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a metaphor yeah baby (laughs) (laughs) all right well uh and if you want to comment on this episode you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash parasite Awesome. And we'll leave you with a quote of the day from Wong Kar Wai. What makes international cinema so interesting is that each territory has its own sensibility. When you look at an Indian or French film, there's a certain flavor. And even though the language is different, if the film is successful, it has something very common and understandable. I love Wong Kar Wai. He's a Hong Kong director that I, up until pulling this quote out I thought was actually a Korean director uh, so my bad on that I probably said that on the show at some point and deep apologies uh, but I love his work my Blueberry Nights is really good but if you've never seen Chungking Express uh, or In the Mood for Love those are just fantastic fantastic movies and uh, a visual style all his own um, and I love what he's saying here because it's so accurate even though I believe that this movie is a metaphor for something completely culturally specific everyone can still enjoy it because it still has this universality to it that we can all understand uh, and it's very relatable so yeah yeah awesome i love it man great i want to go check out some of his films again it's been a while god yeah he's so good cool good pick 
Well, man, this has been fantastic. A good double session here. Yeah. Uh, uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. I know I did. I learned a ton about Parasite, uh, and which kind of improved my uh, my my stake in it, I feel nice. like. Yeah. Uh, so uh, like Wes said, please review us, share us with your friends. Maybe one day we might have an actual sponsor. Uh, these faux sponsors are fantastic and they're hilarious, but I'm kind of getting tired of them not paying me money. Uh, so, <laughs> but anyway, please share us and review us. Uh, all of it helps and we really appreciate it. And thank you to our patrons and for being patient. Um, this whole uh, COVID stuff has really thrown a wrench in everything, but we're we're continuing to try to make, as, make these as often as we can. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, and join us next week. We're doing Shawshank Redemption. Just one more reminder. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.